You know what that sound is? That means it's an emergency podcast episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert here with you, joined by the Bigspur.com's Hale McGranahan. And uh, this is probably one of the bigger emergency podcast episodes that, that we've done. Uh, tonight, the University of South Carolina announces head coach, head football coach Will Muschamp uh, has been relieved of his duties, effective immediately. Offensive coordinator Mike Bobo is taking over the team for the remaining three games of the season against Missouri, Georgia, and Kentucky. Uh, and then a search will take place to find the next Gamecock head football coach. And, you know, I, I think we kind of all saw this coming with the last three weeks, uh, three games. I think that anytime you have a defensive-minded coach and your your defense gives up, you know, 159 points in three games um, – you kind of wonder where you're going and, and what the what the move is. And South Carolina, this is the worst streak they've had, one of the worst in program history. Um, you know, it's it, it just on top of four and eight last season. Uh, I, I just don't think there was any other move to be made. People, and it got so toxic that you know I feel like that the the, the change right now was in order. You know, they needed to kind of just relieve everybody. Uh, all the people that support the Gamecocks and love the football program, you know, relieve them of their anxiety and let them know good things are happening. So I'm going to bring in Hale now. Mentioned him earlier. Hale, your initial reaction. I know we were following the story all day long, but your initial reaction as to as to how it went down today. Yeah, like you said, sort of coming off the top there, JC. When when you're giving up 150 something points over the course of three ball games and and your head coach is a defensive-minded guy. Uh, that's that's big-time concern. And with, with Will Muschamp and his head coaching career, the the biggest knock against him has has been what, what his offenses do. And you know, he finally gets a, an offensive coordinator in here, and Mike Bobo. And it seems like they're getting things kind of turned around in the right direction. Outside of maybe some of the issues some folks have had with the quarterback position and and who's paid and all that stuff that they've still run the ball really, really well. I mean, Kevin Harris last night scored as many touchdowns that <laughs> as Tavian Feaster had all of last season. And, and yeah. those kind of numbers go on and on. And it just sort of speaks to what they've been able to do uh, in terms of establishing an identity over there. And, and unfortunately for, for this program, the, the identity on, on the defensive side of the ball is – I mean, like a colander or a sieve or whatever you want to lay. It's just been embarrassingly bad. And then strangely enough, JC, you, you certainly know better than I do that <laughs> Steve Spurrier, the offensive minded guy had all the, the programs or some of the programs, you know, best players in, in history that played on the defensive side of the ball. And Will Muschamp had some of the best offensive players that played on uh, in program history from Debo Samuel and Brian <laughs> Edwards and Hayden Hurst and, uh, you know, some guys like that. So, uh, you know, you know, coming into the season, I think we knew at the big spur from the intel that, that, that we'd gather that, that, that we wanted to give Muschamp a, a full season uh, to, to try to prove himself and, you know, 150 points over the course of three games and you're blown out in a couple of them, embarrassing all three of them. Uh, something had to be done. And, and here we are, Sunday night, uh, with, with three games left in the season. It's kind of crazy that, that we still have, have three more ball games to uh, to worry about with this 2020 team uh, before they 
move on with life into 2021 and beyond. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. I, I think extraordinary outcomes um, sometimes need to lead, to lead to extraordinary responses. And and I'll use a couple of examples here. You know, it. you look at it, and I'll use a positive one, and, and you were probably – uh, you were probably in college then, but uh, we all remember the 2003 Clemson Tigers. You know, they go up to Wake Forest, they get beat 45-17. Some people are actually reporting Tommy Bowden's going to be fired then. And imagine, uh, maybe things would have been different because Dabo probably wouldn't have gotten the job at that point. But, um, you know, and then they have Florida State coming in the next week and they upset Florida State and then they get on a roll and then they beat the tar out of the Gamecocks, and then they go to the Peach Bowl and beat Tennessee, and they finish nine and four. Tommy saved, and that was that was an extraordinary outcome, um, and and it, it it provoked an extraordinary response, and that Tommy ended up getting a big extension, and then he decided to hire Rob Spence and Vic Coning, and that led slowly to his demise. But you know that was one of those things that that happened. Um, on the flip side of it. You know, Ole Miss had no intention of firing Matt Luke last year uh, heading into the Egg Bowl. I think that it wasn't even that, you know, win the Egg Bowl or you're fired. It was a deal where they were like, we're probably going to give him another year. He was only in year three. He's obviously recruited a lot of good offensive players. Um, And they had two new coordinators, and they were rocking and rolling. And and then the kid scores the touchdown and acts like he's – hikes his leg up. He's peeing like a dog. And they get a penalty, and then they blow the game to Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl, and that was an extraordinary circumstance, an outcome that led to an extraordinary response. Um, and, and and so I think sometimes that that happens. We we think guys are safe, and then they're not. Uh, I at least thought, you know. After the LSU, after the Texas A&M game, it really, you know, we started hearing behind the scenes. It was it was heading towards done, barring a miracle turnaround. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the part of the reason for that, Hale, is, is that these last three games are extraordinary. Um, you know, when you talk about defenses, and we've seen some – we've seen some great defenses at South Carolina over the years, bud, but we've seen some bad ones. Uh, the 2014 defense uh, yeah. comes to mind. Uh, some of Wally Burnham's defenses come to mind. Uh, I mentioned the 2003 63-17 shellacking uh, at the hands of Clemson. You know, that Chris Koch defense at the end was not that good. Um, but, but I don't think we ever see anything as bad as this. These guys literally look like, like Vanderbilt at times. And, and I know they've got better players than that. Um, so so it's, it's even extra baffling. Uh, to me and and so that's extraordinary to me and I think that required an extraordinary response and and that's why we're here right so yeah so uh, that's it there Um, Yeah, JC wrote something for for the site and looked at that three game stretch or this three game stretch and and how bad it is and trying to compare it to to the program from a historical perspective and 
You know, I, I don't think you can pick out anything uh, from that 98, 99 stretch when they went one and 21 uh, that this, this current stretch would top, but I mean, it, it's right up there with some of the other just poor performances and two, three, four game stretches that this program seen dating back to the early 1900s. I mean, Jeez. nobody's thrown for 500 plus yards uh, in the early part of, of that century or really this century for that matter. I mean, I think the previous high for South Carolina opponent passing yards was, was Kenny Hill in that first game in 14 when he had 511 and, Best I can tell, Matt Corral's 513 were, were the most South Carolina surrendered ever. I mean, they've given up 1,700 yards of offense since the LSU game. Man. I, I don't know that that's ever happened. I mean, it, it, I mean, you could go on and on and on about just how bad it is from a number standpoint. And, you know, some of that's just kind of the, the style of, of, of football and, and how it's offensive-minded and teams are obviously running more plays and throwing a hell of a lot more than they ever have. Um, so some of it skewed a little bit, but in, uh, a couple of 50 burgers and, and, and an embarrassing loss, like, like the one to A&M at home coming off a bye. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it's clear that, that something had to be done. And, and again, going back to a defensive minded head coach, when, when you got a, a guy whose whose teams are doing that, that's, that's trouble. That, that's, there's more concern for me has been really all season about just how bad things have gotten on defense relative to, you know, the offense and, and what's happening at quarterback and all that. I mean, you, you can go down that road if you wanted to, but, but this to me, that side of the ball is, is the biggest indictment where things are, you know, in year five or, you know, at the end of year four and a half of, of Will Muschamp's tenure at South Carolina. It's shocking. I mean, and, and I said all summer, I was like, you know, I, I felt like, and had I known Kevin Harris was going to be as good as he was, I probably wouldn't have felt this way. But, you know, with the limitations at receiver, you know, I didn't know the quarterback was going to be. And then you, it's, you find out it's Colin Hill and you're like, well, you know, they're going to have to kind of run the ball. And, you know, Bobo will do whatever. I mean, he's he's a guy that if he's got to get in the eye and pound it like he did last night, he's going to. And if he's got to spread it out, if he's got the players to do it, he's going to. I felt like this team needed to be a lot like the 2000 Gamecocks, like where, you know, they got just enough offense to win games and they played defense at a high level. And all summer, everybody was talking about the defense. People were even saying, I didn't think the defense played all that well against Clemson and, and, and down the stretch at A&M last year during the end of that season. But there were some bright spots and there are people saying, oh, they can build on it or whatever. And you look at the personnel and you say, well, there's safeties for the first time they've had in a while. And, you know, I know every almost every linebacker except Ernest Jones is hurt right now. But that's part of it too, man. I mean, it, you know, the injuries have, have followed Muschamp around. Uh, and so, you know, you kind of look at it and it's like, you know, that was the key to the entire season is for the defense to take a step forward. Uh, and you look at the stats the first couple of games, first three games really, and, and I, th- I thought the D got big play, gave up big plays at times, but was pretty solid. And then the Auburn game, you know, the D kind of came to life, and you got some interceptions and turnovers, and it looked like uh, 2017 again. <laughs> Which, by the way, now that we're looking back on the Muschamp era. You know, and I know they only played two and a half games with Debo, but South Carolina lined up Jake Bentley at quarterback. 
They had Rico Dowdle at running back, who's in the NFL. They had Hayden Hurst at tight end, who was a first-round draft pick. They had Brian Edwards, who's starting in the NFL. They had Debo Samuel, who's starting in the NFL. And they have Shai Smith, who's probably going to the NFL. And on the line, they had Dennis Daly, who's in the NFL, and a Zach Bailey uh, on that offensive line. Um, Pretty talented. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned the person there. I mean, I'm like, I'm looking back on that team. I'm like, why in the hell did they need turnovers to have a chance to win the games? So uh, anyway, but, but you know, you looked at it, and, and and I thought the defense had to take a step forward from last year. I didn't expect for it to take three steps back. Uh, and I've got a lot of theories about this. I don't know who's calling the defense, but if Will Muschamp let Travaris Robinson call it the whole year, he deserved to be fired. Uh, likewise, if Will Muschamp was calling the defense, maybe maybe he deserved to be fired then too. You know, I I I don't know. I, I think that 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 was <coughs> excuse me, sort of part of it because some of the stuff they're doing just didn't make any sense. Um, you know, we 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 went through the John Hope defense. Um, which had less talent. Uh, and, and, you know, that defense at times even showed signs of life, unlike these guys. And, they, and, and I, I don't think the talent level on defense is lesser than it was when Muschamp got here and he had a pretty good overachieving unit. So I, 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 can't, I can't explain that. I've got a theory that maybe the, the Saban defensive tree, and it, 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 he doesn't, it's not exactly Saban's defense, what they run, but it's similar. But you kind of look at some of these guys, like Kirby Smart has the best defensive talent in the country. Uh, he still gave up 38 in the first half against Florida. You know, maybe we've seen the end of that scheme. You know, I, I, I don't know how, how to explain it. I, I just think that, uh, you know, that's the big shocking part about it and why I think a move had to be made. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how much man-to-man defense versus zone South Carolina ran last night, for example, but watching the game on TV, it seemed to me like Jordan Rogers, who was the 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 analyst on the call on for SEC Network, just was almost dumbfounded by the amount of man man coverage South Carolina was running out there, and uh, he, he's pretty good at, at at breaking down film and and talking about what he sees with with plays and concepts and stuff like that. Um, and, and obviously he's, he's a former SEC quarterback. So he, he knows that stuff a hell of a lot better than I do. But, and, and again, he, he, I think everybody listening right now probably watched the game on TV. Maybe a couple were there in Oxford, but if they're sitting there listening to what he's saying, he's, he's just wondering why in the world they're, they're putting some of those, those corners out there in situations where they got to cover those, those guys one-on-one. Maybe that's a big part of it. I don't just not being willing to uh, to get away from from what you want to do, maybe, maybe that's what ended up being uh, being the final death knell for for Muschamp when it came to came to his defense here or lack thereof these last couple of years. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, obviously Mike Bobo is going to take the uh, you know take over for the next three games. I'll say this: nothing against him. I actually think he's done a really good job this year, Ale. Uh, calling the plays, but you know, I, you, because he got fired at Colorado State, I don't think you can hire a guy that's been fired again for the second straight time. Uh, no matter what happens, the next three. I mean, 
it would take a next three games of like the reversal of the Gamecocks, you know, blowing Missouri and Georgia and Kentucky off the map. Uh, I think for, for him to get a shot and not saying he won't ever be a head coach again, but I think, I think we're, we're pretty much off the, you know, out of the realm of Mike Bobo getting it. So, you know, some of these names that have come out and um, we had a lot of pieces on the site today, John Whittle has a hot board up. Uh, you can read that for free on the bigspur.com. I've got some VIP in-depth pieces. So does Tony Morrell. You can join the site for a dollar coaching change special. So, um, you know, uh, I don't know. What, what do you think about some of the names out there? To me, he, Hale, it, uh, it seems like um, there's a deeper pool this time of guys. Whereas last time, you know, you sort of had, you know, the hot, the hotter young coach uh, with Tom Herman and then Kirby Smart was the top assistant. And then once you got beyond those two, it was just a lot of guys that had coached elsewhere and, you know, were coaching elsewhere. Or, you know, the Greg Shianos and Rich Rodriguez's and Willie Taggart's of the world. Um, you know, your Matt Campbell's and PJ Flex were still in the MAC, maybe weren't quite ready. Like a Shane Beamer wasn't, he was still at Virginia Tech. So, hadn't been to three straight playoffs uh, with a staff and wasn't an assistant head coach at a program like Oklahoma. Um, you know, you didn't have Will Healy in Charlotte yet. Uh, Joe Brady phenomenon hadn't happened. But, it, you know, just looking at the list, Hale, I, I, I think, honest to God, even if this thing, you know, even if half these candidates just are ATM in South Carolina for raises, I still think that there's a great chance they end up with a good coach. Yeah, and, and based on, on the list of guys that, that we've accumulated over at the site, uh, I think it's going to be a good offensive coach too. And I, I don't want to just make a, blank, a blanket statement, like just go in the complete opposite direction of, of where you've been these last few years with Muschamp as a defensive-minded guy and who's kind of conservative. But it seems to me like you, you want to get someone who who's offensive first and uh, maybe – I don't want to say with the times in terms of what they do, because, you know, we, we've clearly seen South Carolina line up in the eye and, and play with a couple backs and tight end and, and be fairly successful that way several times this season. But I, I think, you know, an offensive minded guy is, is first and foremost where, where I would want to start if I was running this coaching search. Uh, Hugh Freeze is obviously the guy who, who a lot of South Carolina fans are enamored by because of because of his success with, with what he did at Ole Miss and now what he's doing at Liberty. Um, obviously, some of the baggage that comes with him is, is probably off-putting to a lot of people, and rightfully so, um, <laughs> whether it's the NCAA stuff or, or the, the things that he did uh, outside of his uh, job description. Um, there, there's some concern there, for sure, and, and I, I don't want to – you know, try to hop on a moral high horse or anything, but uh, that's that's a part of who he is, and and something you're going to have to live with, and and hope like hell that it doesn't become an, an issue again for you down the road. Um, I think Billy Napier is, is a guy who, who's particularly intriguing, just given his his background uh, and where he's been. Uh, there, there's the Saban connection that that might be again a little off putting for some people, just because that's where South Carolina has been with, with Will Muschamp for five years, but obviously Napier's a 
an offensive minded guy who who played quarterback at Furman and, and was an offensive coordinator at Clemson before he turned 30. Uh, and, and he recruited a hell of a lot of good players, uh, not only for the offensive side of the ball, but for the defensive side of the ball too, when, when he was just coaching tight ends over there. So I, I think that's certainly a name worth considering. Uh, you know, Jamie Chadwell is a hot name with what he's done at Coastal this season. And he's certainly had some success at Charleston Southern, uh, North Greenville as well. Uh, Matt Campbell seems to be, you know, another guy who, who I would think a lot of people could get excited about if he ends up being the guy just because he's that more with less kind of a coach. You know, Iowa State, Ames, Iowa, you're, <laughs> we know you're not going to get a lot of big-time recruits to come play for you in Ames, Iowa, and there aren't a lot of big-time recruits in Iowa unless they play tight end and then they just go to Iowa. Yeah. So there <laughs> there are a lot of good names that, that have, have – popped up here in the early going. And, and I think, you know, all those guys that we've talked about and even some, some others that, that have been written about on the sites are, I mean, I think at this point it seems like they're pretty legit candidates. Yeah. Um, the big thing for me, Hale, is this. It, 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 I want, you know, and I, I and others that, that thought the must champ thing would work out. What I missed about it, and I, and I should have thought about this back then, but what I missed about it, because I, you know, and again, I, I'm, I'm going to have to go back, and, and one day I believe there will be a thirty for thirty done on Will Muschamp and, and why his, you know, nine years and some chair or eight years and some change as a head coach in the SEC did not work out, because you can't just look at like what he's done off the field and, and, you know, well, usually it's like, Oh, well, he didn't recruit well, or well, he didn't do this well, or he didn't do that well. And he checks a lot of boxes and it's, it's the, and I've asked people from Austin, Texas to Gainesville, Florida to Columbia, South Carolina and points in between, you know, that have coached with him, played for him, uh, worked with him, covered him, dealt with him. And they all come back. They have no idea. Like there are no signs, you know, there's no signs, you know, you look at it and, you know, like, like I'll give you an example, you know, Carolina was having all the injury issues a couple of years ago. And so you start thinking, well, he's making the Lou Holtz mistake where Lou Holtz would just beat the hell out of his team all week with full contact practices. And these guys are getting worn down. And so, you know, you go and you start asking around, well, how are you guys practicing? Practicing just like they did under Spurrier. <laughs> oh well, we know that's not hardcore physical practice, you know. And so you look at it, and, and, and but here's what I missed with him specifically. Like this is this is beside the fact it's a mystery as to why he was never successful at Florida or Carolina. Um, and this is what I missed about him, and this is why specific to South Carolina, I think he struggled. Um, and I think anybody in his position will. And I think that's why you got to be careful. It's called more with less. You know, look at Will Muschamp's career and where he had been before he came to Carolina. All right. He was at uh, he was at LSU. Oh, well, they don't have much talent at LSU, do they? Hell, <laughs> they don't, do they? Um, yeah, the defensive tackles growing trees down there in the yeah, back. Yeah, those guys aren't that good. So so then he went to the Dolphins. Well, that's the NFL. Okay. Then he goes back and takes Auburn. Um, you know, Auburn always a place you always can get defensive talent. 
Uh, so then he goes to Texas, you know, Texas sitting a blue blood or anything. Uh, and then he goes to Florida. Uh, and then he goes back to Auburn. And then he comes to South Carolina. Um, so of all those places, you know, and he, he did coach at well, Eastern Kentucky and West Georgia, I think, and, and Valdosta State way back in the day. But of all those places, South Carolina is unique. So you start looking back on the history of the program. Who have been the successful coaches? And I'll go back uh, after Paul Dietzel came in. Dietzel won a national title at LSU, um, was at Army, and then also came to Carolina. Uh, so let's start with Jim Carlin, who, who coached um, our boy George Rogers, uh, won a Heisman Trophy or whatever. So, so Jim Carlin, before he comes to Carolina, was at West Virginia – where he won big and actually beat Carolina in the 1969 Peach Bowl, the ACC champions, um, and then was at Texas Tech for five years. West Virginia and Texas Tech are a lot like South Carolina. Okay, maybe a little, West Virginia's maybe a little more successful over the years. Texas Tech's probably right on par with Carolina. All right, so then he comes to Carolina and he has a big run. You know, he, he goes five, six, seven years before he gets, you know, pushed out or whatever. Um, So Carlin, you know, did – he was at places that have to do more with less. You know, you got to win. It's not easy to win at West Virginia, and it's not easy to win at Texas Tech, you know, at the time. So then uh, Richard Bell gets hired for the year, and then Joe Morrison comes in. Joe Morrison won at freaking New Mexico. (laughs) 10 and 1, University of New Mexico before the Gamecocks hired him. Yeah, so there's a guy. Definitely a uh, more with less. All right. Move forward. You got Sparky Woods. You know, Sparky comes in and he's kind of on the middle spectrum. He was the coach at a very tough time where the school wasn't spending money. They were going to the SEC. Morrison had died. You know, Sparky wanted App State, but he really largely built on what Mac Brown got started there. And they were sort of behind Furman in the Southern Conference. You know, they'd battle it out one year. They'd win. I mean, they were right. They could. They, they weren't dominant. And I think we've all seen that that App State program probably has a higher ceiling than what he coached to. You know, so I don't know that he was a, a more with less guy. He certainly, you know, some of his schemes and stuff. He was never going to out scheme you. Good guy though. So then everybody gets enamored with Brad Scott. You know, Brad Scott. Brad Scott coming from Florida State. He'd only been at Florida State. That day, most of his career was one of the best programs in the country, and he won the national championship, but he wasn't a guy that, that could do more with – what used to do it more with less. All right, moving forward. <laughs> uh, Lou Holtz comes in. Now, Lou Holtz did win a national title at Notre Dame, but, but he also won at William & Mary at NC State in Minnesota. Uh-huh. And was kind of a, a program builder. You know, he's a guy that – the second year, he was in a bowl everywhere he went. And then Steve Spurrier comes in. And you're like, well, how, how's Steve Spurrier a more with less guy? Well, when he took he, – well, number one, he won at Duke. He won an ACC title at Duke. And number two, when he got to Florida, they had never won the SEC. You know, and then he got to Carolina, and he kind of learned how to do more with less at Carolina. You know, Will Muschamp had never been in that environment during the vast majority of his career always big-time programs, always places where you got talent. Uh, and I think – and correct me if I'm wrong, Hale, I think that's going to be one of the most important things with this hire is 
you don't want a guy that's just the guy that's been at the Blue Blood that, that's never been any place else. South Carolina is a unique place with unique challenges, and it's a unique job. It's not like Georgia or Alabama or LSU uh, or some of those other jobs. It, it's very unique. And if we look up the road at Clemson, that is, although they're rolling right now, and also a very unique job. And if you look at who's won big at Clemson, it hasn't been National Coach of the Year Tommy Bowden or Ken Hatfield, who they put from Arkansas. It's been two guys they've promoted from within that were never even coordinators before they got the Clemson job who understand how to win at that place and who also understood how to do more with less. Um, so your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on, on all that, JC. Um and I think that's probably why some people, South Carolina fans, see a guy like Hugh Freeze and, and see what he built at Ole Miss. And while they may have gotten a little creative and how they built that, that still sort of speaks for itself. And then you see what Liberty's doing. And I think maybe you could kind of taper that off a little bit because relative to who Liberty competes with, they, they have some some resources and some ability to to be – kind of where they are that that's probably a, a little bit above of, of who they're competing with. Um, but nonetheless, he, he still, you know, built some, a couple of good things uh, in terms of programs. And I, I think the other guy who, who, you know, I mentioned earlier is someone who's to your point of that is, is, is Napier. And, and you see who all, all he recruited at, at Clemson and, and, you know, the, the, there's some pretty highly recruited guys who were four stars coming out, and he, he got them to come to Clemson when Clemson was, you know, Clemsoning was still a thing back then. That, that was yeah. a, an issue they were fighting on the recruiting trail for sure back in, you know, the early part of this century, you know, like 2006, 2007, 2008, that, that window when, when he's helping build, build those early Dabo teams. Um, and he's gone on and has some success recruiting at, at Alabama, which is, again, you know, like Muschamp at LSU or Auburn or wherever else. I mean, anybody can recruit to Alabama pretty much, so, so you're going to get your guys. But um, I think when, when you're at South Carolina now, given where Clemson's at in terms of national prominence, where Georgia is nationally, um, Florida's certainly heading back in that direction under Dan Mullen. Um, you're, you're fighting an uphill fight and you're going to have to figure out ways to, to sell yourself in, in, in some different, some different lights that, that maybe uh, just, just having to get, I don't want to say get creative because I, I used it in, in context with, with Hugh Freeze's previous transgressions, but almost have to, to figure out ways to, to be different and to, to, to build yourself and in, to, to the program that you're, you're trying to get to. And, yeah. Um, when you've got a guy like Will Muschamp, who, who basically his his life changed because of one one job, one man changed Will Muschamp's life, and that's Nick Saban. Like, is Will Muschamp the head coach and waiting at Texas? If if he doesn't get that DC spot at, at at LSU, and and you know, is he really the DC calling the defenses for those Saban teams when they won the national championship down there? Probably not. But you know. I think just again, to your point that if you can figure out a way to, to get somebody in who who's able to, to figure things out on his own without writing a, a logo or, or, you know, hopping on 
on somebody's coattails. You know, no offense to anybody who's done that and more power to them, but uh, at South Carolina in 2020 with, with all that's going on around them, you know, from, from a, a competition standpoint, uh, that's, that's kind of what you need. Yeah. And I think that, you know, pe- people look at it and, you know, in the, I guess the argument, cause I've, I've been saying do more with less and the argument's like, well, wait a minute, you know, if you just try, if you're just trying to not get the talent and, you know, just do whatever. You're just resigning yourself to middle of the pack. And um, here's the thing, college football, you don't just jump up from where Carolina's at right now, you know, to the, you know, front of the pack. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're you're not going to sit there and, and all of a sudden start signing a bunch of five stars. And, and, you know, Hugh Freeze did sign his share of five stars at Ole Miss early on, but look, if you look at his NFL draft numbers from the guys he recruited at Ole Miss, yeah, your Robert Kandichis and your Laquan Treadwells got drafted, and that's all well and good. But then there'd be four or five other guys, hell, that were like three-star kids out of the state of Mississippi or the state of Florida or the state of Georgia that they got out there that, that they developed. I mean, some of those guys I used to look at and go, man, why didn't Steve Spurrier and his staff recruit these guys? Because they were from Florida and Georgia, and I'm like, they went all the way to Ole Miss, you know, and it's like, wow, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I think I think that's that's very important when it comes to the next hire is somebody that – and, you know, like I said, you look back at the successful hires at South Carolina in football, you know, the ones you'd call a success, they've all had experience doing that. And then the two big, the two big hires that did not work out, Brad Scott and Will Muschamp, you know, those two guys were guys that, you know, kind of had that blue blood pedigree only, you know, like, yes, Spurrier had Florida, but he also had a little Duke in him and Florida wasn't Florida when he got there. You know, you look at it. Yeah. Holtz had Notre Dame, but he also had William and Mary and Minnesota and NC state, you know? Um, So, so, uh, you know, I just kind of look at it and that's, that's what you got to do because you got to you got to get a guy that does more with less. And then once you get to that point, just like Clemson did, and Cle- I use Clemson as an example because they're the only program that's gone in college football during the past uh, what ten years, the past decade. Okay, Clemson has gone from ACC division hopeful, hopeful. Now I wouldn't even call them a contender, but hopeful to national powerhouse. Nobody else – think is there another school, Hale, that you can think of that's made that leap? Uh, that wasn't there before? I mean, It like, wasn't there before. You know. and, I, and I know Clemson, Clemson was there in 81, but yeah. it the, had really kind of been, you know, seven, eight, nine win Clemson for a long time. Uh, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, maybe Washington, if, if you look at what they did a few years ago and – Obviously, they had some success in the '90s. Maybe uh, you can kind of draw a comparison there, but there aren't many. Yeah, no. and Washington, you know, did get to the playoff, but had but I mean, they, you know, what Clemson, you know, see if you're looking for a a school to emulate, you know, unfortunately for you guys out there, uh, when you're looking at kind of the the journey toward the top, when you're where South Carolina is. You know, that's kind of the process. You know, you're not going to go 
uh, sign a bunch of five stars. And people have revisionist memories about how Dabo, well, that, they always got five stars. Now they really didn't. You know, they kind of recruited a lot like Will Muschamp at South Carolina. They'd have one or two guys, two or three guys, and the rest was in-state. Then they go evaluate, uh, and then they build on top of that. And then finally, by the time they were ready to roll, they got a really special quarterback in there, and he took them to the next level. And that's just kind of – for any school, including South Carolina, that's the journey you have to take. So, you know, the, the, the more with less theory for me is, is paramount here coming, coming forward. Now you covered Clemson while Billy was there, Billy Napier was there, right? Am I mistaken with that? Yes. And those first two seasons under Dabo when Billy was OC, yep. 2010. I thought the 09 offense up there was really good, and he called a lot of really good plays. I mean, I know the Gamecocks got them pretty good in 09, uh, but Parker had a terrible day, and, you know, Carolina had a good game plan, bottle and spiller up and all that. But, uh, you know, and then in 2010, they just didn't have the guys. Uh, yeah, but, the, yeah go sorry ahead. to cut you off there, but sort of the issue with that was when they lost C.J. Spiller, they lost Jacoby Ford. Lost Michael Palmer, who was their their best tight end. Kyle Parker was back, but he ended up hurting, getting hurt in the second or third game of the season against Auburn. And they they had DeAndre Hopkins, who was a skinny freshman, but the head coach didn't want to play him. So there was some back and forth on on how soon he got onto the field, and then all along the way, uh, Dabo was sort of meddling with the plays. So with the one quote that sort of stuck with me on that season, sort of spells out. Just how things went there is is at one point in the press conference, Dabo was asked about him calling plays and, and what exactly he was doing. And, and his line was, "If it's a good if it's a good play call and it works, uh, that that was Billy. If it was a bad one that doesn't work, that was me." And so that sort of summed it all up to me. But yeah, it was it was uh, an interesting time uh, that during those last few months uh, of of Napier's run at Clemson. Yeah, I um that's uh that's definitely uh definitely what I thought about it. And and I knew a lot of folks around that Clemson program at the time that kind of said the same thing. I, I, I don't think it's even an issue anymore. I think Dabo and Billy have patched it up. I, I think, you know, certainly he'd like to come to South Carolina and build something. I saw Tommy Bowden talking about um our friend Billy Napier uh, in, in an article that was written the other day, and Tommy said he felt about Billy kind of like he felt about Dabo, that they had an it factor. Uh, and certainly going and winning those division titles, you know, at Lafayette, that this is three years in a row they're going to go play for a championship uh, in the Sun Belt. I think that's uh, I think that's pretty outstanding. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if it's Napier. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, Hale, if it ended up there. But I think we got a long winding road, uh, you know, it, 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 to end there or wherever it does end. And, you know, certainly I think, you know, and I'll get your take on this real quick before we go. Don't, don't you think this is like a breath of fresh air and a relief for the fans? I know it's a relief for me because, you know, I defended Will Muschamp up until last year when I said, hey, maybe they should make a change. Uh, turns out I was probably right. Um, but it, it got really exhausting trying to even explain 
you know, some of the stuff we saw every Saturday. I mean, I almost just quit doing it because I mean, I was just, it was unexplainable and, and it got exhausting. And I haven't even watched, um, you know, I haven't enjoyed a Carolina. I, the, my, I haven't enjoyed a Carolina football game until last, this last night. And heck, I enjoyed that game. Everybody went up and down the field, blah, 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 blah. But, but man, I mean, I, I literally, I, I, I've been sweating bullets every game I've watched since that Vanderbilt game in 2016 when he, when he first got there. Uh, and it, it, it's just, it was just kind of that style of play where you're just kind of always like, eh. And so, so don't you think that now that it's happened, everybody can sit back and relax and not worry about these next three games, just watch ball. Uh, and then, uh, and then everybody's almost relieved. You almost could on social media and on the message boards, you almost could feel it that everybody's like, Oh, finally it's over. Even the, even the folks that weren't totally anti must from the beginning were like, okay, this is good. Yes. A new beginning. Yeah. Coming, coming into the start of his tenure here, I, I thought it was a little unfair. Some of the criticism he had just based, based off of, you know, what he did at Florida and how that went. And yeah, you know, I, especially at the beginning, I mean, people forget, I mean, he started 20 and 14 and up until that game, they lost at Florida in 2018. I thought by all measures he had overachieved and the program was on an upward trajectory. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people also forgot just how toxic things were with that program being the Urban Myers tenure and some of the stuff that came out in the years that followed. How that's sort of how things go when when a coach leaves. You, you start to hear about some of the the skeletons in the closet. They they tend to to come out and uh, there there were some issues within that program that were pretty significant <laughs> to say the least. If you can just kind of jog your memory of, of some of the personalities that were there and uh, what what has happened with those individuals and in their lives <laughs> in the years since they were at Florida. So he had a lot to kind of juggle from that standpoint. And, and obviously it's about wins and losses and those those losses piled up and, and he got fired. And the point I was kind of trying to make earlier was that, that I, I thought there were a lot of people who – who had already made their decision about Will Moschamp at South Carolina based on Will Moschamp at Florida. And, you know, as it turned out, you know, that's pretty, they're pretty accurate in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think that the biggest issue for me, like I said much earlier in the show was just the defense and where it is. I mean, you, you see a team that's given up 150 something points um, and you're you're like, well, the head coach is a defensive guy, right? And like, how how the hell is that happening? What is going on there? Well, they've gotten into a hole from from a recruiting standpoint along the defensive line, which is something we've talked about before with guys they've missed on as in, interior players, and uh, they just got out recruited for some other guys, so that they don't have a lot of depth there for this season. And when you're losing a first round draft pick and and another guy who was drafted and uh, a third guy who was a really good player for you last year. I, I, I think everybody kind of knew there was going to be an uphill battle a little bit for the defensive line coming into this season, but I don't think we could have predicted that it would, it would have gotten <laughs> as bad as it's been. And, you know, four and a half years and you have zero depth at, at <laughs> defensive end, pretty much zero depth at defensive tackle. Uh, 
not a ton at linebacker, but w- w- what little you have is hurt. And so it's zero depth there. And, you know, the secondary can't cover anybody unless it's JC Horn. And what, why, what, where are these guys, that, these DBs that they signed in, in the 2020 class? Not, not a single one of them has played a meaningful defensive snap. It just, and you look at all three of those levels and you know, well, how, how does that happen? This is Will Muschamp for crying out loud. This guy was supposed to, to come in and, and, and make Carolina defense great again. <laughs> and, and it got worse. It got it, worse. It got, it got a How whole lot worse. It, it's come full circle, Hell, It's gone from the 2014 defense, the whammy defense, to the Hope disaster. And then it got a little bit better. And then, you know, it crashed. I mean, 2018, you know, and it's sad because you, you almost look at it and it's like, is this the same defensive football team that played Georgia in Athens last year. I uh, mean, come on, man. I mean, you know, you, I mean, I, what happened? Jamal I mean, Kenlon pro, DJ Wanham's pro, and KB Smith's pro too. I guess those guys were better than than they really were. I guess, and I thought they were damn good. Obviously, <laughs> I think it, I think it killed them that Josh Bell decided to go drive a truck, and that, assuming that's what he's really doing. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, that's what I heard he was going to do is drive a truck. Right. Um, Jaquez Sorrells couldn't get in and went to TCU, which baffles me. And Jakeem Green couldn't get in and went to Nebraska. Yeah, they did lose all those guys, but they just they didn't have anybody behind them. Uh, and then, you know, you get a Devontae Davis, who's supposed to be an interior guy, and he's out. You know, you can't be that thin on the interior. And on top of that, you know, I, I don't I don't know what's up with Rick Sandage, but I thought I thought – I think Rick Sandage, when he's played, has played pretty well. What I was told, too, is because they have no linebackers, they're constantly trying to to twist and stunt up front, and it just bounces them all out of gaps. Yeah. And, and, and so so because you're trying to overcompensate, and it just it's just hard. You know, I honest to God, Hale, I think they'd be better off against Missouri and Georgia and especially Georgia and Kentucky – because those are kind of like line it up and run it at your teams. Just play base defense. <laughs> don't stunt. Don't do it because it doesn't look like you're doing much of the secondary anyway. I mean, just just man up and do it. But I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's kind of bad. But I, you know, I I feel bad, and I want to say this too, right before we go. Will Muschamp, the man. I will say this. There's probably not been a better human being to be the head coach of South Carolina. And, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but but he's been fired and he deserved to be fired. And South Carolina, and I'll say this, you know, it sounds harsh to say he deserved to be fired. And that is harsh, but it's the truth. South Carolina, I think, though, uh, what I, how I would put it is South Carolina deserves better than the results that they got. And I think maybe Will Muschamp deserves better too, but you know, unfortunately, he's got to go. He's got to go down. You know, it's, it's like that uh, scene from The Irishman when Joe Pesci's sitting there talking to Robert De Niro. It's like he's going down. You know, you got you got to go down. Um, but I think as a human being, there's not been a better person uh, to, to to have that job. And and that's nothing against the other ones because I'm sure, you know, Steve Spurrier is a good person and stuff too. But uh, just kind of, you know, the first-class manner in which he does things. 
the the impact he's had on guys' lives beyond football. Um, the way he kept the team together all summer during the social unrest and the the COVID nineteen situation uh, was probably the best job in the country. You know, he probably did better than everybody else, which again makes you wonder why the hell the, the results weren't better. Because uh, supposedly heading into this year, the teams that handled COVID were the teams that were going to win. Well, nah, uh, nah. <laughs> um, but, but I do think that sometimes we lose track of that. Um, I, I'm not going to like mourn for anybody that's walking away with 15 million. I'm going to applaud them for being able to provide for their family like we all want to do. But man to man, it's hard to see somebody that puts something in so much into something fail, um, you know, and, and really fail at what they, they want their life's work to be for a second time. Um, and that's tough when you're, when it, when it is such a good person like Will Muschamp. And so, um, you know, I, I, I just, I just wanted to say that about him as a human being that, you know, he's, he's, he, he's a good person and, and it's not like, he didn't have an impact at all uh, at South Carolina because, you know, beyond the wins and losses, he certainly did. Yeah. I, the the thing that I'll kind of take away from my relationship with, with Will Moschamp was kind of what played out over these last few months or so when we'd get on these Zoom calls and, and he'd see my hair looking like it does now. He'd crack a joke and – we'd laugh and have a little back and forth about it. And it was good natured. And, and I, I think he, he felt comfortable doing that with me because we had so many occasions over the years where, where we could just kind of be casual and, and, and chat and, and not be serious for a minute and, and uh, just sort of be regular people, not, you know, the rigid, you know, media guy, head yeah. coach. And, and, and he's not that. I mean, people, people think he's like already. He's not really. The guy could actually go do TV and be fine, and I think do good. At oh yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. So that was uh, that was it. So I don't know. All right. So that there's the emergency podcast for the night. I'll probably be back tomorrow. Guys, give me till midday to rock and roll uh, with with an update and. Certainly on the bigspur.com and here on the Inside the Game Cast podcast, we'll keep you uh, up to date at all times with the coaching search. You guys go out. Hell, what's the special? I saw you tweeted it. What's our special now on the Big Spur? I believe it was a 50% off for an annual subscription. Uh, I, I'm not good at math, but that, that sounds pretty, pretty solid to me. Yeah, it's like $5 anything, a month, I think. Yeah. Anything 50% off based on, on, on what I'm told every day with, by my girlfriend, anything that's Fifty percent off. If you can, if you can afford that fifty percent off, then just go ahead and buy it. Do it, yeah. what it is. Get it going. Um, yeah. So do that for fifty percent off on an annual. I think you can join on a trial basis for a dollar right now. So spend that dollar uh, and uh, come join up uh, because that's that's where a lot of the nitty gritty is going to take place. But of course, I'll be right here uh, on the inside of the Game Cost Podcast. We'll have hail back many, many times moving forward and some guests and all that as we cover the transition into the next era of South Carolina football. Um, so for Hale McGranahan, it's J.C. Sherbert. This has been the uh, Inside the Gamecocks podcast emergency episode. You guys have a great evening. We'll holla at you soon.